and you're watching episode number 13, lucky number 13 of the Life of Gem live video podcast. This is being filmed live from my home in the Inland Empire. I hope to be back in the Rag House studio soon. My producer, April Duran, is here, I'll bet silently, and I have a special guest for you today that I'm so excited about, rock star writer and dark wave enthusiast, Shauna Lee Ingram Perrin. She just wrote the most epic book called Radio Waves, a post-punk novel. And for those of you who know me, you know this is like right up my alley. First, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Hotbox Vintage. We are going to be talking about music, specifically dark wave music and how it merges with literature, specifically the book Radio Waves, a post-punk novel. We have the author here, and we're going to introduce her in a little bit. But first, I'm going to read a short essay called Starman. It's a Bowie tribute essay. Bowie kind of started all that is punk and post-punk. He's proto-punk, meaning he influenced everyone. And this story is going to set the scene, and then I'm going to introduce my guest. First, here's the story. It's written um, on the day Bowie died. Starman. Bowie has always been there for me. Since before I was born, one of my favorite songs, Space Oddity, was released in 1969. I came into this world two years later in 1971. By the time I was in elementary school, Bowie had morphed again. He was Ziggy Stardust. All theatrics, a precursor to punk, always a visionary. Bowie's music transcended genre. He could do punk, pop, new wave, jazz, all without missing a beat. Bowie influenced all of my favorite artists, Morrissey, Joy Division, Susie and the Banshees, The Cure, the list goes on and on. In a way, Bowie was and is my favorite artist. The night Bowie died, I did what only a true fan would do. I cried. I tried to sleep, but couldn't. I listened to his music and watched the posts on Facebook come in. I cried some more. Then I woke up and put on another Bowie tea of mine and muddled my way through, lit a candle, and played his songs over and over. That was the only thing that would help. My heart felt as if it had been ripped apart by tweezers. And even though I didn't know him personally, obviously, I really felt as if I had had a great loss. In the year before he had died, I had become obsessed with Bowie again. I started listening to every song of his over and over. For Christmas, my husband bought me a CD set of his, which I was making my way through. 
And I say making my way through because I couldn't get past CD3. The songs were that good. From Space Oddity to Rebel Rebel to Suffragette City to Heroes to Rock and Roll Suicide to Ziggy Stardust to Young Americans and to songs I don't even have, I never remembered hearing, such as Bowie's cover of Lou Reed's White Light, White Heat. Listen to that song. Then I watched the video for Lazarus. This is Bowie's magnum opus of a song that he put out on Black Star right before he died. Black Star came out three days before he died on his birthday, January 8th. The song Lazarus, which is obviously a biblical reference, the first words are, look up here, I'm in heaven. And in the video, Bowie is sitting in a hospital bed with blindfolds on, with two holes peeking out for eyes. Towards the end, he stands up and is rejuvenated and starts dancing. After watching that video, I went outside and I looked up into the sky at the stars and tears started running down my face. I could feel the power of Starman's message. I could feel it. Life is short is what I got from it. Life is fleeting. We only have this now, right now. And at that moment, I waved a figurative goodbye to Bowie, to my father, to everyone else I knew that was here and had since passed. And what the vow I made that day was to create and create until I could create no more. That is surely the best tribute I could give to Bowie. That's my story. I also got a Bowie tattoo right after he died to my husband's dismay. Now, let me introduce my guest, Shauna Lee Ingram Perrin. I'm so excited to have her on. Shauna graduated with a bachelor's in English, and in the, that was in the mid-90s. And she earned her MFA in fiction writing a couple of decades later. She plays bass. She loves music like it's her job. This is why we're friends. And she's a lifelong New Englander. She also loves stand-up comedy, proverbial rabbit holes, and desolate lighthouses. What a goth girl. Contact her at shaunaiswriting at gmail.com. Let's bring her in. Hi, Shauna. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, I'm so excited to have you on. And just so um, people can buy your book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and on Bookstop, is, or Book Locker, is that right? Yeah, Book Locker and also um, bookshop.org. It's like an alternative to Amazon kind of thing for like your your local indie bookshop if you want to order it through there. Great. And the, the title of the novel is Radio Waves, a post-punk novel. How did you come up with that title? Oh, my God. This thing went through so many titles. Um, it was first called The Song Could Save Your Life. But then there was like a young adult novel that had a similar title. So that was weird. And then there was, I, I don't even remember, there's so many titles, but this title, like once it finally came to me, um, it just seemed like the right one. I just kind of settled in. I was like, oh, I don't have to guess anymore. This is it. No, yeah. it's it's the perfect title for the book. And I love the cover. Do you have a copy of it there? Um, I do. Yes. Um, Hold it up for my audience. I want everyone to see it. And I just 
There we go. Radio Waves, a post-punk novel by Shauna Lee I. Perrin. I just finished your book, which is a romance centered around two individuals that love Joy Division. Mm -hmm. But before we get into those details, what struck me the most was the seamless way you blend in all these musical references. You name all my favorites. Buzzcocks, Susie and the Banshees, Joy Division, of course, the book is centered around that, The Damned, The Jam, the list goes on and on. Um, I wanted to be Susie in high school. Who did you want to be? Because I know you're a punk rock girl just like me or a post-punk girl just like me. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I loved Susie. Any Anytime I saw her, like I'd see her videos, you know, on like 120 Minutes on MTV, that was like my kind of main line into the the cool stuff. Um, but anytime I saw her, I was just like, she is on another planet. Like she is just mm-hmm. like her self-assurance, her coolness, her, her, just her presence, everything about her. I was just like, her I eyeliner, her <laughs> eyeliner, oh my God. her eyeliner, her lipstick. Yeah. I've been like struggling to get her lip. Like, as you can see, I'm trying to get like the Susie lipstick here even now. Um, like, yeah, it was just, just crazy. It was like, she was just so cool that I couldn't even aspire to be her at that point. So I like. I saw her in high school. I saw her at the, um, I forget where I saw her, but it was during the Peep Show tour, which is one of her (gasps) later albums. And she was wearing this black pleated skirt and these high, high boots. And I, oh, it was just so epic. I mean, I love her earlier stuff even more. Um, oh, yeah. But like, Cities and Dust and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. But wasn't that – that was when she did, like, the um, – oh, what was that? Tracy, just so everyone knows, Tracy <laughs> Saul's my best friend is on, and she says, I agree about Susie. Tracy actually <laughs> taught me how to do my eyeliner like Susie when we were in high school. I wish I had a Tracy in high school. None <laughs> of us knew what the hell we were doing. You know, like, just kind of, like, smear on the black eyeliner and hope for the best. But – so like, yeah. all right. Yeah. So that Susie, the peep show, Susie, uh, peep show era, Susie, she was like, she had like the Louise Brooks haircut, if I remember yes. correctly. Yes, yes. That was when I was just like, that's who I want to be. But I just couldn't even. So um, <laughs> I, I sort of buried myself into like John Hughes movies. So like I wanted to be Watts from some kind of wonderful, the Mary the Stewart drummer? Thing. the drummer. Yeah. She was like short blonde hair earrings and just like, you know, kind of just like acted like she didn't give a hell give a shit kind of thing but but she did she loved Eric Stoltz and and I loved Eric Stoltz oh, yeah. too at that point so yeah. yeah well if we're gonna play that game I will be um the Molly Ringwald but the Molly Ringwald and Pretty in Pink and you can be Stuart Masters and from that. so we can hang out together and you can wear your flannel and I'll wear my thrift store clothes Absolutely. That sounds good to me. <laughs> so is, what's your favorite band? Is your favorite band Joy Division? It's obviously the main characters in their book. In this book, it's one of their favorite bands at the very least. Is that right? Yeah, it's absolutely her favorite band. Like she doesn't know it until she hears Disorder from Unknown Pleasures. Like she hears that song and she's just like, you know, just like zeroes in on it because that's how she feels. Um and then she listens to the rest of it, and she's like, that is also how I feel. Um, for me, um, I kind of go through phases where, like, I, I kind of binge listen to bands. Um, yeah. But I, 
But I always come back to Joy Division. I always come back to binge listening to Joy Division because nothing sounds as good to me as them. Um, yeah, the opening uh, bars of uh, Transmission, it's just something that is otherworldly to me. I just, yeah. I, whenever I heard those opening bars, like, of course, I like, you know, the other songs and all that, and she's oh, lost yeah. control. But for some reason, for me, Transmission, just the opening, you play bass. So is it bass yeah. or is it guitar at the beginning? It's bass, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter Hook just, um, he was the bass player for Joy Division. Um, he really was one of the pioneers of like post-punk um, getting that, that bass mm-hmm. sound like right out there. Um, yeah. And, like where as previously had been guitar or keyboards or whatever. Um, but yeah, like Peter Hook was one of, one of and, and Wire and like all of those other. Like, bands oh, I love Wire. You know, what's funny is that um, the only other band that I'm really thinking that has such a strong bass is the Pixies, you know, with Kim Deal, Um, the same kind of like where it just is distinctive. Let's talk about Peter Hook. When you wrote this book, did you send Peter Hook a copy of it? You've told me that, right? Yes. Yes. I um. So. All right. So I worked on this um, book for essentially four years, but I guess I was like a little bit over like two and a half years into it. Um, I thought it was done at that point. It was not, <laughs> but I thought it was at the time. Um, so I sent the manuscript to Peter Hook of Joy Division um, fame. Um, just saying. And New Order. Yeah, yeah. And New Order, yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, hey, you know, if I, if I inspired someone like you guys inspired me, I would want to know about this. So um, here's this manuscript you know, um, and what did he send you something? Show us. He sent her a note, everyone. I'm going to kill it right yeah, now. He acknowledged it. All right. So I'm going to reach up and grab this thing here. So I sent it in like a recycled em- envelope that looked like um, it was just junk mail. And I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this is crap. And um, then I opened it and I was like, oh, what? So there was this note from Peter Hook. Um, I'm oh, sure. All right, so that's there so punk rock though that he sent it in like a torn up envelope. <laughs> so he said, "Hiya, thanks for your manuscript. I am just finishing off a book. When I do, I will begin yours. I'll let you know what I think. Until then, take care and thanks for writing yours, Peter Hook." That's uh, that. I mean, that is worth the price of writing the book alone. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I really loved about your book is the main character is a college DJ. She's a college student who's DJing and she's also obsessed with Ziggy Stardust and Bowie. Yes. And um, Bowie is, you know, one of my uh, loves other than Morrissey, Joy Division and all these other bands. Yes. But um, in the book, Viv wants to go to London because of Bowie. Um, mm-hmm. And my, actually my biggest regret is not seeing Bowie live. Is there any band that you didn't get to see live that you wish you would have? Uh, well, obviously Joy Division, but I yeah. was like nine years old when Ian <laughs> died. So I was, was eight. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, I also uh, never got to see Bowie live, which was a bummer. Um, yeah. Um, I've been trying, I've seen so many great bands. I don't really have very many regrets. Um, the only great. one, the only one that sprang to mind was Oingo Boingo, um, because they're one of my favorites. Um, I was, you 16. know, I met Danny Elfman, right? 
No, what? Yeah, I ditched school, left my twin sister at home, went with my best friend, Melinda, who's my other best friend other than Tracy. And uh, we drove to Tower Records because there was a rumor. There was no internet back then. There was just a rumor that Oingo was going to show up at Tower in Hollywood that day. So we ditched school and drove down there. We met Danny Elfman and bought the, the drummer. No. Yeah, yeah. They were nice, I assume. Yeah, and we've seen them live, but I mean, uh, now you got to see, you know, Danny doesn't sing anymore because of his hearing loss, so you got to see, uh, we, but we did see him in Nightmare Before Christmas, so. Mm. I, I wish I had a chance, like, they were, Bungo Bungo was playing um, in Boston, I'm on the East Coast, mm. I'm in New Hampshire, um, when I was, like, 16, um, and uh, my best friend, who was, like, as into them as, as I was, if not more so, um, we were going to go see them. But then my sister who lived in Illinois at the time, basically like 16th birthday, she's like, come out, see me. I'll get you a super cool haircut at Vidal Sassoon. I was like, I didn't really have a choice at that point. So I was like, great. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> and then I realized, Oh no, that's when Blanco Blanco was going to be playing in Boston. Anyway, long story short, it was the worst haircut of my life. Um, my hair, <laughs> My sister felt terrible, and um, and I never got to see Ongo Boingo. So, ah, uh, well, Baker you know, yeah. If he, you know, when this pandemic is over, if you can see Nightmare Before Christmas tour, um, he does do a couple of Boingo songs at the end. Oh, yeah, I would love yeah. to. I would, um, I would see him in anything. Yeah. Oh, he's so great. Now, the main character in your book is a college student, like I said, DJ Viv. And she's this independent, um, punk rock, post-punk music loving girl. Um, Was she a bit like you in high school, college? She, um, yes. um, Because she, like, in high school, she was, like, kind of lost and lonely. And um, luckily, like, I found my people kind of later in I found my people pretty early in high school and then I found more of my people later. But um, in terms of like, you know, the, the college radio thing, um, when I was, I guess I was 16 years old, <clears throat> I kind of got obsessed with like our local college radio station. Um, and uh, I ended up getting my license as a DJ there at 16 oh. years old. Um, so there's a lot of, that in in me and in Viv, um, you know, she didn't do it. Yeah, went to college. Um, but so I I ended up um, being a DJ on our college radio station from the time I was sixteen until I graduated, which was like uh, graduated college. I mean, um, so like for like seven years, I guess. Wow. Um, so yeah, college radio stations are like they're you know they're in my blood, they're in my brain, they're in my bones. <laughs> So, well, what um, I really loved about it was this family that you show. I was on the newspaper in high school, uh, on the yearbook in high school, and on the newspaper in college. I was the editor. And there, you do create this family. And, they, I mean, Viv really had a family there. Her mom, anyways, is horrible. We'll talk about that yeah. later. But she kind of finds this nurturing environment to the point where one of the guys pays for her ticket to London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, I was never in Viv's position, like with a horrible fiance kind of thing, and and like to the point where like oh, we're gonna yeah. talk about aid. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I mean, I I don't know that anyone that I knew at the radio station would have necessarily done that for me, but 
mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but yeah, just like um, like that, like that character, the character of Lenny um, was very yeah. much based on my um, mentor at the radio station. Oh. He was the one who trained me. He had a heavy metal show. Um, you know, like all of the things that I say about Lenny um, were, were about my friend John, actually, um, who trained me to be a DJ. That's and, so uh, cool because people say, you know, even when you're writing fiction, you're writing memoir and I write memoir. And so I have to name all my people, but it's kind of cool how you can create these composite or pure characters that are based on people. And then you get, get to kind of make them who they are, you know? Exactly. Yeah. That was, I think like I could never write memoir because I don't have enough specific memories, but I have like these impressions of people and like the, um, yeah. you know, the, the, impact they left on me um and that's what I try to convey in this um in the the character of Lenny especially um my mentor you know at the radio station is not alive anymore so it was especially important to me to like thank you (laughs) to uh to convey like at least his spirit you know and like what he taught me kind of thing even if the character is like so loosely based on him but Well, you do a great job. And I would, uh, you and I are going to get together one day and write because uh, I trigger a lot of my memories with music. And I have actually, I go kind of into a trance sometimes and I'll write a story and I won't even remember I had those memories per se. So, I mean, memoir is an art in itself triggering your memory, but you don't need that because you're such a great fiction writing. Your writing is so clean and beautiful and it's romantic, but not sappy and sentimental. I think in the beginning chapter, um, her and her jerk of a boyfriend, they're having this conversation and he's saying these kind of cliche things and she's Mm -hmm. calling him on it. And I was like, I've never seen a book do this before. You're like, the viv is kind of like, that's kind of sappy. And I'm like, that's how people really talk because me and my husband, we're not really that we're, you know, we're kind of too punk rock for that. We'll be like, ah, I love you, but you know, you're no prize. But uh, <laughs> you know, I really do love him to death, but I'm not, I'm not a sentimental person. I have to always put some edge to it as does he, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think like, that's, I love that you say that because that's the thing. It's like, he, like eight is so like goal oriented yeah. and Viv is just like, I don't you know, know if they would have gotten married, he would have sucked the very life out of her. He was yes. such a jerk. And let's talk about this because when she does finally, um, you know, bite the bullet and break up with him, the, yep. it, the, it's very hostile and violent. What, I mean, how did you write that scene? That scene was horrifying to me. He became a different person and he became who he really was. Right. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, um, I think, like, as um, as I mentioned, like, there are a few words that I use in that scene. Like, you know, he he smiled more when he was trying to be affable. Um, mm. And like, I think we've all known people like that. Um, but like, when you're romantically involved with someone like that, it's like, thanks. <laughs> it's it's yeah. very, yeah. Um, so it was. It, it actually wasn't a hard scene to write because I had written so many like previous versions of like breakup scenes with him yeah. um, in so many different iterations. Um, but I liked this one the most because it kind of like kind of laid bare his intentions and her intentions. Yeah. And 
like the more weird he got, the more she was like, finally, she was like, okay, I'm resolved. I do not want to be with this person. He is, he is not who I want to be with. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah emotionally. And let's, let's get, um, and let's get to the romance with John because that yes. for me is really when the book takes off. Um, yeah. She meets John, they have a one night stand and she's kind of, she cheats on her fiance um, and then she breaks up with her fiance, does the right thing. And then her and John start this romance and it's kind yeah. of a long distance thing. Um, and they both have a huge love of joy division. They both mm-hmm. struggle with depression, which I thought you handled beautifully. And this John character is such a deep artistic soul. Um, was it fate for them to me? Would you argue or, or luck? <sighs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm biased because I wrote it, but like, (laughs) you know, it did it. um, I think, I think it was kind of luck actually. Um, Mm. Like, you know, objectively. However, I think um, you had mentioned like the phrase when we were talking about it earlier, um, like love at first sight. Um, And I think Viv is just like, she doesn't trust herself enough to, be able to admit, you know, it's, it's love at first sight. Whereas mm-hmm. I think with John, he would, if you oh. asked him, if he was a person, he would be like, yep, it was love at first sight. Yeah. Um, They're soulmates, right? I mean, yeah. I guess that's the best way to term it. And um, I don't, yeah. I'm not a blow smoke kind of gal, but I have to say I've never had a book that I connected with so deeply as far as something that merged romance literature and music together and it's my music so that's why I love it my kind of music so I just have to tell you I mean I don't want to like but I mean I love love I'm going to read this book over and over and over and over oh my god that that is the best thing I could ever hear see and that was why I decided to self-publish like I knew I knew like you know I I queried Mm -hmm. agents for two and a half years with nothing yeah with and that's nothing. a whole process and a work job in itself. And then you lose your time to write. You know what I mean? Exactly. I yeah. It. yeah. And, and you lose your, your, you know, your belief in your project. And, and it's just, just, it's a demoralizing, horrible, horrible thing. But like, ultimately I decided, I was like, you know, I've worked so hard on this for four years, like yeah. in my MFA and then beyond my MFA and then with a developmental editor, who was awesome, um, and did all this. And then I was just like, you know, I don't need an agent to tell me that this is good. I don't need an agent to tell me that I have my people out there waiting for this yeah. story. I know they're yeah. out there. I need to get this out there, and I need yeah. to just get it to these people, and whatever happens, happens. And I was lucky to be in a position to be able to do that. So. And that's how we met. We started talking on this um, binders, binders, creative binders website about whether you should go press, big five, small press agent or Mm -hmm. self-publish. And I was like, well, you should try a small press. But then you decided to self-publish. And I was so happy. And I'm so happy you did because you got the book out shortly thereafter. And their book was your book is perfect. It's done. It doesn't need anyone else to look at it or market it. It, It's it will sell itself. And I think I you inspire me because I've been working on my memoir about my punk rock childhood and dropping out of high school. And the last scene is me as a punk rocker under the bleachers, like tears running down my face, thinking my life is over. 
And um, I've had people tell me that, oh, no, you got to say what really happens to you. I'm like, no, the whole point is, you know, this is her at that moment. Right. And she threw everything away. And but I I myself have said, should I go agent? I spent a year doing that, wasting my time. And now it's just like, you know what? I'm going out with a small press. If the small press doesn't work, I'll self-publish too. So you give a lot of people hope that if you know your book is good and your book is friggin' amazing, it's better than good, then put it out in the universe, you know? Yeah, it's it. That's the like that's the whole thing. Like, I'm not gonna get rich off of this. I never was gonna get rich off of this. I. It's just this whole thing. This whole the whole story is about connecting people, connecting pe- yeah. things resonating, and so I had to get this out there, and I had to get it to people who would resonate with, and it's and it's getting there. You know, it's rolling out. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just so happy about that. Yeah, yeah. And so, do you mind reading a little short portion um, no, of no. that scene? Um, and I'll set it up for the readers while you find it. Um, okay. I fell into John and Viv's burgeoning romance and music and joy division, um, and the and the album Unknown Pleasures was such a huge part of it. Um, and there's this scene where they finally see Joy Division live, and the Buzzcocks, I think, are. Um, the main stage, but their yes. Joy Divisioning in the scene is opening for the Buzzcocks. And I got mad because they left after Joy Division. I was like, oh, how could you not see Pete Shelley in the Buzzcocks? But that's beside the point. Let's read. Let me hear I have you thoughts read. about that, too. I wish I could <laughs> tell you later. <laughs> okay. okay. So um, this is Shauna. She's going to read her portion of from her book, Radio Waves, a post-punk novel. And this is the scene where John and Viv are at a Joy Division concert, 1978, 1979? 1979. Actually, October 22nd, 1979, they're in Derby, England, at a a venue called the Assembly Rooms. And this is like, I did a lot of research, and um, this was an actual concert that they did. And um, I based the scene on what other people who had been there um, had had told me about it. So, um, So, yeah. All right, so we're going to begin um, with this. All right. The familiar feeling of waiting for a show to begin washed over me. The nerves, the anticipation, the instruments, and amps bolstering the excitement already bouncing around the room. The hair on the back of my neck stood up and my palms got hot. I felt a hand squeeze my shoulder and I turned, ready with a right hook at my side. I looked up to see John gazing down at me. I relaxed my fist. You all right? He asked. Yeah, I said. Sorry, just a little edgy from the call earlier. She had a bad call with her mom earlier, but her mom called her a whore. I forgot to mention that. Um, So he put an arm around me and kissed the top of my head. If a fight does break out, I want to be with someone who knows how to throw a punch, he said. I ruffled his hair and said, I'll protect you, my delicate flower. The spotlights aimed at the stage turned on. The four men in the band came out, picked up their instruments, cast furtive glances at each other, and talked in low tones. They were just like the pictures, but full color. Their clothes looked like they just come from a day at the office, albeit no office I'd ever been in. Their regular pants and collared shirts were shades of gray and burgundy. They had short hair and were clean-shaven, except for the bass player with a scraggly beard and mustache, shaggier hair than the others glowering at anyone who made eye contact. 
They all look deceptively normal, yet aspirationally cool. The PA switched on, the archetypal feedback that preceded every live show I'd ever been to screeched, then petered out. I felt John's warmth emanate from close by, and the greatest band in the world was right there. I took a big mm-hmm. gulp of my room temperature beer. An energy coursed through me like electric eels sparking in dark seas. Good evening. We're Joy Division. The ground dropped out from under me. The bass and drums rolled out, enveloping the room in a massive, relentless tidal wave, tossing us all around like tiny, ill-equipped ships. The guitar prickled my skin with oral, jagged sleet. The first time I'd heard them, a mere month and a half ago, I'd been hurtling toward a future I didn't want, and I didn't believe what I did want mattered. I was almost entirely resigned to it then. I picked the record to review that day because the blurbs I read about their sound matched my mood. A glum band for a glum girl. That record was the only thing that made me feel better. And now here they were, mere feet in front of me. If I were less shy or less respectful of personal space, I could have reached out and touched Ian. The voice of a dark god flowed through his throat as his tall, wiry frame alternated between grasping the mic in his hand like it was another limb and kneeling, I'm sorry, and kneeing and squatting at the air, dancing like mad, a firefly caught in a jar, blazing eyes focused on something hovering over our heads in the air. My bones throbbed. Oh, Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, no, keep on going. Um, My bones throbbed and my chest ached from the rawness on that stage. It made my own rawness seem that much more real, more valid, more reasonable response to everything that had happened. All the fear, the fury, the longing that I'd been clutching for years in my near-death grip cascaded in thick waves from the stage, the song's healing waters barreling through, straight through me. Their set lasted forever and was over in an instant like a fever dream in the throes of an illness. The last notes sipped up through the ceiling and back into the sky. Oh. You capture it. I have goosebumps all over. I, you know, people that go to shows that go to, I mean, that's how it feels. It's like a moment and then it's over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it, like I said, I did a lot of research on like on that particular show and, um, that like their set opening for the Buzzcocks was mm-hmm. like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, something like mm-hmm. that. But anyone who was there was just like, just just like frozen with its awesomeness and they were like some people were just like I couldn't I couldn't stand I I just had to leave like even though I wanted to see the buzzcocks I had to leave it was just like too much emotionally kind of thing so yeah no I got it you know I really thought about that a lot and it sounds weird that I thought about the fact that they would leave but you know oh no it's weird (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, but back then they could also see the Buzzcocks quite e- easily in a month. I mean, that's how often they were playing in England, right? right. So it, it isn't as weird if you think about it, because, you know, I think me and my husband um, saw Bauhaus and, you know, we're like, oh, we're so tired and we stayed, but we could have easily left after 10 songs because we were we were good. We're like, oh, this was epic, right? Or I've seen right. the Pixies and left before the encore and missed my favorite song, but I was okay because I was full. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's only just, so much you can handle, right, emotionally yeah, if you're a music yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. Emotionally, if you're, like, super invested in a band and you mm-hmm. see them and you're just like, 
oh my God, that just happened kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Most people leave early because they're drunk. I mean, I, I uh, notoriously just missed the Nirvana reunion. Obviously, Kurt wasn't there, but everyone else was there at um, a big concert in San Bernardino because I got drunk and had to go home. And Joan Jett came on the stage and Nirvana reunited. And uh, I missed it. And it was, and I went five minutes from home. But, you know, we all have those stories of people we've missed. And oh, I yeah. mean... But like I said, I've thought about it a lot. Them leaving, and plus they're in love, right? So they also want to spend time together and talk about joy, seeing Joy Division, their favorite band, right? Well, yeah, but like after that scene, they like, it was, it was kind of a weird scene because like, um, you know, I had seen like people talking about the concert and they were like, like for real. And they were like, you know, mm. the Buzzcocks, like that, that set wasn't all that great. They're already really big and they're kind mm-hmm. of lazy and whatever. So I was like, okay, it's not a big deal. Yeah. People read this. They're going to be like, oh yeah, not a big deal. Um, But then like, they kind of like, after they leave, you know, the, that room and the assembly rooms in Darby, um, a bunch of other people that had just witnessed what they witnessed were also walking like silently toward the exit and they kind of looped arms. And it was like this weird, like little makeshift family that was just like, holy shit, what did we just witness? Like, let's go have a beer and talk about it. And that's what they did. And then, and then after that, they separated, they didn't keep in touch. They didn't have Facebook then they didn't have Twitter then they didn't keep, you know, no one knew who the other people were, but they had that moment. That's so interesting. Yeah, they had that moment. And, you know, some of the best concerts are short. I saw The Strokes, and their whole set was an hour. Um, um, The Sex Pistols, notoriously short shows. Ramones, notoriously short shows. Some of the best shows are just short, you know, get in, get out. Moments um, in time, yeah. Yeah, um, let's talk about, because I want to talk about the mom character, but what I'm more interested in, because I, I want to make sure we get through all of this, is yeah. the tragedy The tragedy of Ian Curtis's suicide is also addressed at the end of the book. And we see how tragic it really was to everyone and to the music um, people, as well as just personally, and how universally it touched both characters. Um, I'm a mental health court attorney who deal with very severe clients who actually have suicidal ideations. Um, you handled it really well so what was your intention was that was your intention to really paint this picture this empathetic picture of mental illness and depression and how it can really hit anyone um I think my original intention was just honestly like very simple like um just how how people connect to music and how people Mm -hmm. connect to um whoever makes that music in ways that maybe they don't even realize. Um, So like with Viv and John, they both have their emotional mental health um, kind of crises, like, and and they're entirely off camera as it were. Um, You've kind of find out about them in sort of subtle, casual ways because they're just like, this happened. I moved on. I don't want to make a big deal about it, you know, kind of thing, which is like. But they're also both very empathetic towards one another because they both dealt with those feelings, right, of not wanting to be here anymore. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, they had those feelings and then they went on and then they connected with Joy Division. They connected with each other. They connected with other people. And so that they were able to move on 
um, was a big deal. And then, yeah. so when they, you know, just that, that one fateful Monday night, um, they hear about Ian dying. And of course, then there was no information like we have it now. Like it was just whatever you heard was all you got. So they had suspicions as a lot of people did. Um, and what I want, what I hope I conveyed um, was just that they were like, you know, I, I was so lucky to have been able to move on from this. Um, mm. Ian was not yeah. able to move on from this. And like, honestly, just me as a person, the older I get, the I'm tearing up just talking about it. Um, just like, it just yeah. like the sadder, the sadder I get about his whole story. Um, oh. And so what I hope that I conveyed was just the connection that he made to a lot of people. I'm sorry, I'm so embarrassed. Um, <laughs> no, no. And, you know, you hear a lot of it in the albums, too, um, in retrospect. You, yeah. you sense and the epilepsy and how much trauma he had to endure to do what he loved. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like the, the thing, like, you know, hearing his music to these people, you know, gave them such hope that there are you know, kindred mm-hmm. spirits out there. And so then when he died, like just that effect that it had on them, I, you know, I hope I, I hope I conveyed that, you know, sadness. Oh, you did. You did. It was very melancholy and very well done. And then it's dovetailing into this burgeoning relationship where they're both dealing with similar stuff in their past. And I just thought you weaved it in beautifully. It it didn't feel um, that you took that you were like making it um, inflammatory. It wasn't offensive. It was very well done and well handled. I'm so relieved to hear that. That's that's exactly what I was trying to do. And that's a hard balance, you know, and going into that, you know, Viv's mother is very cruel to her, as is her sister, yeah. who's a wicked witch of the West. Yeah, and then she much. has she has a very nurturing dad, thank goodness. Um, but I think really what I took away from it, like if I was going to talk about this in a book club, I would say, you know, the, the theme of it is really kind of this um, universal one that you can, number one, create your own family. But number two, you have to love yourself even if there's negative talk from others around you, including your family. Right. I think, um, I think thematically that's correct. Um, I think that Viv is not emotionally healthy enough to like embrace the concept of loving yourself. Um, I think she kind of views loving yourself as being like a conceit sort of thing. And she as you know, me, me, the writer as a stoic new Englander is just like, you don't want anyone to think that you think too highly of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I think Viv is like sort of like her version of loving yourself is just sort of realizing that maybe I don't want the traditional life. Um, yeah. And she meets John and John is like, whatever you want to do, babe, you know. <laughs> and he's a like, wonderful artist in his own right, you know. Yeah, he's trying to be an artist and Viv is just like, who tries to be an artist? Like that's so impractical. And she says to him, Oh, your parents must be so proud, very sarcastically. And he's like, Yeah, duly noted. <laughs> and she's like, How can you have that kind of 
belief in yourself and confidence in yourself. And he's like, how can you not have that belief in yourself and confidence in yourself? So that's kind of where their relationship sort of like is a good, positive, healthy thing. Like she's learning things from him. Yeah. I could see this as a movie and I wonder, we got you and I got to talk later about who you would cast. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if there's someone you had in mind, please say it. Um, Mm. But what's next? Um, I know you're writing for grunge right now. People can find your work there. You Mm -hmm. wrote a piece about Andy Subner's from the police. um, That was fantastic. My husband is a huge police fan. Will there be a sequel? Um, I really see this as maybe even a trilogy or um, that I would see a sequel maybe 10 years down the line. There's a movie called Before Sunset where they do three books. Um, they meet on a train in Paris. Yeah. yeah, I love them. And they're all, you know, ad-libbed a lot of it, written by the actors in some parts. Um, so are you thinking about doing a sequel and remind people where they can get your book? Um, I would love to do a sequel, but I'm not sure that the story lends itself to a sequel necessarily. Um, because like, I don't know that there would be enough conflict in their future to mm-hmm. make it a sequel. Um, the only conflict I could see would be like coming from her immig- like problems with immigration and um, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So maybe they have to get married because of immigration and maybe she's I, I, like, I don't know. Um, I would love to because I, I like love these Christine characters. almost uh, married uh, Sid Vicious. Like she wants to live <laughs> in England so she has, they have to get married. Yeah, hopefully a little happier ending than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I've got a few other novels kind of in progress. Um, ah! Various things. Like there's a vampire waitress in Vermont novel that I'm working on and oh my um, god you need yeah. to send me some pages I want to read at least a I would chapter love to that. That. oh my god you know I wait you got to watch it I'll send it to you April and I have an episode where April my producer and I talk about waitressing we both waitressed for a decade so um and then I'm a goth girl so the vampire thing this like dovetails into exactly who I awesome am. Yeah, she's a vampire who was made made into a vampire in the civil war and um yeah so I, I'll, I'll fill you in on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching uh, Discovery of Witches right now um, on BBC, which um, has a vampire witches theme. And they go back actually to Shakespearean times, <gasps> this vampire. Yeah, you got to watch that series. I've heard of that. I've not seen it. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm running for grunge. Um, I'll, I'll think about some sequel possibilities. Um, and I yeah. would well, really ultimately love to watch write something really funny with somebody because comedy is kind of my love. Um, I'd love to do a collaboration with somebody on this, like something funny. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I want to read the vampire waitress book. Um, So let's do a giveaway really quick. Um, April, can we see the comments? Um, We are going to do a ebook giveaway of Shauna, uh, Shauna's book. Radio Waves, a post-punk novel, a novel that centers around Joy Division. So this is what some people might consider an easy question. I'm going to make it two parts. Um, First, name the Joy Division black and white movie biopic. And then tell us, I think I said it earlier in the show, what band the rest of the remaining members of Joy Division went on to form after Ian's death. So whoever does that first in the comments will get a copy of Shauna Shauna's book, Radio Waves. Hold it up. Oh, sorry, I got my glasses in it. You're going to get the ebook version, which I have. And then I actually bought her hard version too, because I'm going to read it over and over. 
So um, we can look at that later. I can't see the comments right now, but we'll, we'll get to that. So anyone that knows the answer, whoever's first, I'll contact you and, and, and we'll get you a copy of that. Um, thank you, Shauna, for being on. This was amazing. I could talk to you all night. Yeah, I feel the same way. Thank you for having me on. Um, we have so many things in common. Yeah. Do we have a winner? Yes, oh, we yeah. have a winner. Christina Stockdale. Yay! Yay! Christina is oh, my friend. Like Christina. <laughs> and Christina, do me a favor and share um, Shauna's uh, link to her book on the K-Rock webpage, if you could, for us. Um, awesome. And then, yeah, um, th there's people on that page that are going to die when they read your book. Not I literally. So. Figuratively. No, I hope not. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you, Shauna, for being on. Um, tune in everyone. Um, in two weeks. I'm going to have Cecilia Bailly, who has her PhD in anthropology. She's a writer for Texas Monthly. She's a Tejana. Her and I lived next door to each other when I lived in Houston. And she's an expert on border culture, Tejano music. Uh, Cecilia is one of my good friends. She's an amazing writer. But let's give a big hand for Shauna. Yay! You were amazing. Thank you so much. Appreciate you so having we're me on. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to tell the viewers? We got two minutes. Uh, gosh, I don't think so. Um, I just, uh, you know, I'm just anxious and excited for my book to make its way to my people. And, uh, you know, it's, I think this, you talking to me is a good way to, to get that out there to people who, who will love it and, and the book will love you too, hopefully. <laughs> yep, yep. And they can find you on, are you on Insta, Twitter? Where are you on? Yeah, I'm on Goodreads. Um, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter. Um, Twitter I don't do much on, though, honestly. Um, so like Goodreads, um, the book is on booklocker.com. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like a huge social media person, but um, I have a, an email address that you can, you know, email me at if you want to uh, connect with me. And that is Shauna, S-H-A-W-A, I'm sorry, S-H-A-W-N-A is writing at gmail.com. Nice. Great job. Thank you. <laughs> no, write to her. Buy her book and tell her how much you love it. Let's dance this out. April, do you want to come in and dance with us and play us out? <laughs> Bye, everybody. Tune in in two weeks. Life of Jim. Add my Facebook page. Go to my website. Thank you, Shauna, again. Thank you, April. DJ April, my rock star producer. Peace out. Bye.